A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Hello, I'm Tim Farron and welcome to a new series of A Mucky Business, the show which delves into politics through the eyes of Christians. Well, you might think that politics is tainted by compromise and sin, and of course you would be right, but then again, so is everything else. And I think we should be praying in an informed way for our brothers and sisters who operate in the world of politics. Well, we're back with a bang after our summer break and delighted to say that Kate Forbes will join us soon, fresh from her leadership bid for Scotland's most senior political role. Kate lost narrowly to Humza Yusuf earlier this year, but it was the attack on her Christian faith which dominated the headlines during that campaign. We're going to find out about how she dealt with that storm and ask whether there is now an impassable ceiling for Christians in politics. But before that, no sooner have MPs returned to Westminster after the summer break than we're off again on another three-week recess. Hundreds of politicians, party activists, lobbyists and journalists will be gathering in conference centres and hotels, debating a whole raft of issues, drinking awful cheap wine and eating beige food. Why? Yes, it's the party conference season. But what exactly is it all about and why should we care? Well, for those involved in a political party or seeking to influence policy, these weeks are a hugely valuable time to meet people, network and debate current issues. It's a great opportunity to rub shoulders with leading MPs and those who make the decisions and set the priorities. At Conservative Conference, many of these people are current ministers and their advisers. At the opposition party conferences, many will be those who hope to take office in the next government in perhaps only a few months' time. All the parties will make policy at their conferences, much of which could find its way into their election manifestos and become government policy and new laws after the general election. Those who turn up are often able to have a real impact. As well as debates in the conference chamber and stirring stump speeches to rally the faithful, there are a range of training events for party members and a whole directory of fringe events where NGOs, lobby groups and think tanks hold panel discussions with specialists and party spokespeople on any issue you care to mention. There are also receptions, discos and the less formal gatherings in hotel bars to socialise and network. My conference agenda this year has a heavy emphasis on environment and farming issues because I'm the party spokesman in this area. My diary includes a Q&A with party members on the environment, debates in the conference chamber on the housing crisis, state of our natural world and investing for our children's future, fringe events and meetings with a range of environmental charities and lobby groups, and a prayer breakfast with the Lib Dem Christian Forum and Tear Fund. Oh, and we'll be recording this show from the conference too, with my special guest Munira Wilson, the Liberal Democrat MP for Twickenham, and the party's education spokesperson, and a Christian. Well, it all promises to be hectic, intense, exhausting, and exhilarating. Why is all this activity significant? Well, in the run-up to a general election, conferences where the party's priorities become clearer, where the media scrutinises policies and personalities, and even where careers can be made or broken. Christian organisations always have a strong presence, hosting events and seeking to make their voices heard, and for ordinary Christian party members, it's a good opportunity for fellowship and to support one another. As we all know, politics can also be very shallow with ample amounts of backbiting and the conferences can also be intimidating at times. 
Networking can revolve around what people are trying to get for themselves rather than genuine relationship building. And the febrile atmosphere in the bars could lead some to act in ways they will regret the next morning. So as we watch the media coverage over the next few weeks or head off to Bournemouth, Manchester, Brighton or Liverpool ourselves, there are many ways we can pray for this conference season. Let's pray for wisdom in policymaking and debates and for positive and constructive discussions around the many issues that face our nation. Let's pray for genuine relationships to be formed between people who truly want to make a positive difference to our society and who are able, in the words of 1 Thessalonians 5.11, to encourage one another and build each other up. Let's pray for the party's different Christian organisations, Labour's Christians on the left, the Conservative Christian Fellowship, and the Lib Dem Christian Forum, that they would have good conferences and be strong collective witnesses for Christ. Alongside the inevitable gossip and intrigue, let's pray for a real spirit of graciousness. And in the words of the Liberal Democrat Christian Forum fringe event that's taking place on disagreeing well, an encouraging of ongoing respectful debate where diverse opinions exist. And finally, let's lift to God all the Christians who will be present in either professional or personal capacities. May they walk closely with him and be salt and light in all their interactions during this conference season. A mucky business with Tim Farron. Well, so to our guests, Kate Forbes is the MSP for Sky, Lock Arbor and Badenoch. Kate's it's her second appearance with us on the show. And if you want to hear about how she got into politics, about her coming to faith, how it impacts her work, you can find it at premier.plus forward slash a mucky business or search her name and mine on your chosen podcast provider. Well, Kate, thanks ever so much for joining us for a second time. Thanks. It was so much fun the first time I thought I'd come back. Well, it's not as if nothing's happened in between. So uh, not not least, we have Naomi in the background. You have a relatively new baby. And on top of that, people may have heard that you made a bid to become the first minister of Scotland. So let, let's start with that. Um, I mean, from the outset of that campaign for the leadership, you were absolutely clear about your faith, what it meant. So it seems to me, as someone who's been in a similar position, that you had thought and prayed about how to talk about those kind of things in advance of a leadership campaign, certainly more than I did, I reckon. So share with us, if you don't mind, how much had you prepared for it? I certainly think I had prepared for those questions, even if I hadn't prepared for a leadership bid. I mean, it's worth remembering the context that many of your listeners will be aware of. But I had been on maternity leave for six or seven months. So my primary source of information and polling over the last six months had not been political in nature. It had been mother and toddler groups. Yes. <laughs> and uh, so when you ask about preparation, perhaps my preparation had been the real world mm. of engaging with ordinary citizens, mm. many of whom did not share my faith. Mm. And perhaps it gave me a perspective that actually people are crying out for honesty, truthfulness, integrity from their politicians. So I went from that straight into the fiery furnace of a leadership contest. And I knew that the first questions that I would be asked were about my faith. It was the most interesting part about me. Perhaps others scented blood. They knew that it was my weakness. 
And so I knew that those questions would come. And all of us who have been in elected politics for years know that we've been asked those questions in village halls. We've been asked those questions in media interviews. So inevitably I was going to be asked and I had a choice as to whether to just tell the truth mm. or to prevaricate, try and dress it up, making it make it sound more palatable. But I also knew that inevitably they would keep asking until they got what they were looking for. Mm. So I thought that on day one, I was as well to answer than to try and prevaricate for another few days. It certainly struck me as being the wise thing to do. I mean, you, you didn't equivocate about your faith. I think at times, by the way, when I was in a similar position, I think I did to my shame. You, you though, I think robbed the media and uh, opponent of a kind of gotcha moment. And do you think that because you were up from really honest, straightforward, right from the beginning, do you think that that perhaps had an impact on allowing the debate with your colleagues, your rivals for the leadership? Did it allow that discussion to go on to just the other big issues, economy, health, independence, and so on? Well, in the first few days, I think there was probably still quite a few who thought that I did get gotcha questions. And of course, there were issues around marriage, children. It went quite broad, quite quickly. Mm. And so in that sense, it was still several days of some difficult questions that didn't allow for much nuance. As mm. you know, politics is binary. So. Yeah you're either pro or against, you're for or against, there's no not much room. So I certainly think that first week was touch and go mm. as to whether I would be given the chance to start talking about the economy, about social issues that weren't just those hot moral issues. Mm. But I think what amazed people is that I kept going. Yes. I think most people thought, that's it, over and done with, she's out. And I said, no, I'm not, <laughs> I'm still here. And at the beginning of the following week, I went quite hard on some of the economic issues and moved, I think, the debate onto that territory. But I think looking back, it could have gone either way in that first week. And even at the beginning of the following week, the journalists still wanted to talk about the moral matters, because clearly that's the most interesting part. And so it took quite a lot of effort to push it onto other issues. And I think obviously the, the, that first week or so where that was all you were being asked, you didn't come across like a rabbit in the headlights. You may have felt, however, under extreme personal pressure. So what was the campaign like for you personally and for your family? think there's any two ways about it that when you're in the eye of the storm there are to mix my metaphors ripple effects and I have stepdaughters who had to go into school I have a husband who had to has a job in the, you know meeting a lot of clients and customers on a daily mm -hmm. basis and 
I was particularly worried about the reception that they might get mm. because, you know, school pupils, not always the most forgiving. Indeed. But we experienced such a backlash to the backlash. Mm. And I went into test school on the Friday night, quite concerned about what I would get from other shoppers. And so many people, we could barely get to the checkout because of the number of people that stopped us and said, we just want to let you know that we're right behind you. And the same happened on the fr- on the Saturday when I went to a local football game, Ross County match. And again, you you go in with an element of trepidation, being quite worried about the reception you will get. And again, the number of you know people in the crowd that just caught my eye and said, "We're right behind you." Mm. So I have this sense that even though I was perhaps not particularly well liked in the public domain. My local troops, my local people were right behind me. And my family experienced that as well. And that's really encouraging. And I guess in those first days, certainly from where I was sat watching this, there were there were people within your own party, not locally, um, but uh, perhaps across the country, who had been lining up to support you. And... Um, you know, a minority, but nevertheless, they kind of withdrew their backing in the day or two or three after the the initial uh, outpouring of honesty from you in response to those initial questions. I mean, I I know how that feels, so I'm going to ask you how did that how did that feel for you? Yeah, it's when it becomes real. So the personal is still just as prevalent in politics as the political, mm. and so when people start to treat you in a different way because of your views it hurts and that was Mm. painful particularly people that I'd worked with for many many years yeah so that part I found quite difficult and you I'm a notorious people pleaser you (laughs) don't want people to think badly of you or to feel hurt by you and so I think that part was perhaps the most challenging Mm. and many people without breaking secrets, had written to me to apologise for the action that they had to take. So I think they knew the impact it would be. And they also know that I'm somebody who's cared for them, loved them, been there for them in the past. Now, again, during the campaign and and since, how have you found the Christian community across Scotland and beyond? How have they responded? Did you find Christians supportive Less so, a mixture? Well, since the beginning of my political career, I've often felt there is a tension between what the Christian community might expect of me or hope to see me do and my duties and responsibilities as a representative of everyone. What was really interesting during the leadership contest is I think those fault lines disappeared and... There was so much uniting both Christians and people without faith along principles like freedom of speech, freedom of political view, freedom of conscience. Mm. You know, these are principles that unite Christians and those without faith. And I loved seeing that. And I really was heartened 
by the amount of prayer people expressed for me, concern they expressed. There were a small minority of people with faith and without faith who were also united mm. in thinking that I had done irreparable damage to my witness and ultimately I'm conscious that I'll have to give an account for what I see and do and so will they and perhaps that is the nature of mm. you know faith whether it's lived out publicly or privately. A mucky business with Tim Farron. We're joined by Kate Forbes, the MSP for Sky, Lockarba and Badenoch. And we're also joined in a cameo role by baby Naomi, which is fantastic. Well, let's um, go back to the, the hustings. Uh, now, during those hustings, when, once we pretty much, at least it felt like it, moved beyond the total focus on your faith and we got into actually talking politics, I noticed during the hustings, you you took a couple of you know fairly, fairly clear swipes at your main rival over his track record in previous cabinet positions. So how, how do you respond to the accusation that Christians should be nicer than that? Well, you could also argue that Christians should never go into any competition for fear they might win mm. and beat somebody else. So, you know, let's be clear about the nature of the job, the nature of contests and competitions and also the extremely important role of leading a nation mm. and the need to be competent, the need to have a clear vision, the clear need to have principles. And so any debate that I took part in was very much querying my opponents along those lines. Mm. As they had every right to query you and... And I don't think, I don't think, I don't think my opposition held back either. <laughs> no, and we, we look at the result and there may be some people who, you know, observing that, that cursed ratio of 52-48 that you missed out by. And I guess they might think, well, if only she kept her mouth shut and all that God stuff in the first place, she'd have won. Is there any truth in that? How do you respond, do you think? Hypotheticals are notoriously difficult to answer because would I have had as much public interest had I kept my mouth shut. Maybe I would have won, but would then have fallen quite quickly because of these issues emerging. I think people admired and respected honesty. That's what it felt like to me. I mean, for what it's worth, my observation is if you hadn't been, it's not as though people did not know you were a Christian. Um, and that even if you had not come out of the stable doors in the way you had in those first few days of the campaign, it would have been brought up. And I'm quite sure, rather than you having the advantage of having been obviously truthful, uh, open and direct, and therefore got credit even from people who disagreed with you um, as a result of all that, you'd have looked equivocal and the situation would have been possibly even even worse. But, I mean, given the... Uh, passage of the weeks and months since the contest. How, how do you think people have handled that issue um, of your faith, both during and after the leadership contest, in particular, the media? We spoke about how, um, when we discussed this 
earlier before the recording that you were concerned that many maybe the characterization was either pitying or patronizing they all they either said oh poor you uh or aren't you brave is there a better and different characterization than that I think there is a better characterization, which is that this should be fairly normal. I mean, is it is it particularly novel for a politician to state their mind and state the truth? Is it particularly novel to hear perhaps minority views or unpalatable views in public life? It's clearly abnormal to hear views of faith in public life. So I actually think that this might just be writing perhaps the pendulum that has swung too far in the opposite direction, which is what this made this so novel. It wouldn't have been novel. So in other words, it wouldn't have been brave years ago, but it is now. So Kate, people will have watched many Christians in politics, those who are thinking about a career in politics, standing for uh, one of the parliaments in the United Kingdom. And they might look at your experience and they may have trepidation trepidation or otherwise, they may still be ambitious. How would you advise a Christian entering into politics now to approach their ambition in the light of your experience? So firstly, I think they need to be very honest with themselves and with all the many parts of the infrastructure of politics. So from the very beginning, I think it is very risky to hide their faith. And I think there's too often the risk that people think if I keep quiet at the beginning, then I'll get into a position of responsibility and then I'll be able to change everything. But I think that if you don't learn how to explain yourself and defend yourself in some of the small spheres then it's almost impossible in the bigger sphere. And that would be my first point. And then my second point is though, don't be fearful. There is nothing to fear that at the end of the day, if you want to be in politics, go for it. But do not let fear characterize everything you do. I know some people who never want to do any media, never want to have any conversations, won't go near politics because of their fear. Mm. And I would say as somebody that was publicly traduced, um, I guess both of us have been publicly traduced, uh, uh, fear is very dangerous. I, I completely agree. I think, I mean, you may have felt real fear, Kate, but it seemed to me that the decision you'd made was not to fear the outcome, but to do the right thing and still be ambitious. And I think that contributed to you very nearly winning. And I, you know, what am I? Who, who am I to make any comments? But you're far younger than me. Um, should you remain ambitious, your moment will come again. I'm absolutely certain of it. I mean, I know many others will, you know, feel the same as me. But some will also say that your experience shows that Christians face a kind of impassable ceiling in politics. Do you think they've got a point? No. People said to me that it was impossible to be an elected representative and a Christian. Well, that's not true. Then they said it was impossible to be in a senior position of influence and be a Christian. Well, that wasn't true. And then they said it was impossible to be leader and a Christian. And I would suggest that 
actually the backlash to the backlash and the public cries for truth, integrity, mm. reality means that they're actually crying out for uh, more honesty rather than less honesty. Going back in the day, uh, and we're talking 15 or so years ago, uh, and even I only vaguely remember what this is about, I think it was over Europe, I resigned from the Lib Dem front bench in opposition. Not the biggest of deals, let's be honest. Um, and nevertheless, I remember being stopped in the street in Kendall, maybe a fortnight afterwards, and some guy said to me, well done on your principal stand. I can't remember what it was about, but well done. And it's a, it's a reminder a reminder that people do value, even if they don't agree with you, they do value people who will do something that is apparently sacrificial to them, but which is right, and people acting in line with conviction. And in a time where I think politicians are, above all else, thought to be uh, not very good at that kind of thing, I think even for people who are not Christians, I think people took a second look at you. So, look, Kate, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you and Naomi on the show. What a blessing. Um, thank you for your continued witness. Good luck with whatever comes next. Thanks. I think some might argue she makes more sense than I do, but uh, I'll leave that to your listeners to figure it out. Well, I thought the, the debate was good. I thought, you know, it was a, <laughs> probably harder than First Minister's questions. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Tim. Now, each week, we give you the opportunity for you to ask any question that you'd like about this mucky business of politics. Now, it might be an aspect of this world that impacts us Christians who work within it. Or maybe there's a particular issue that you're struggling to make sense of. I would love to hear from you and attempt an answer. So please drop me an email to farron at premier.org.uk. Now, given it's our first week back with an empty box of questions, you can fill it for next week. So an even bigger incentive for you to get in touch and ask us whatever you like. But producer Marcus has posed this question for me. Tim, what are you most looking forward to in the parliamentary year ahead? Well, it's a big year ahead. Uh, at some point over the next 12 months, we are likely to get towards a general election. I was going to make an educated guess. I think the election will perhaps be October, maybe November next year, which means we'll just be on the eve of it at the point that we return for our autumn series in 2024. For me, I will be looking forward to that election and it being conclusive in some way. I think the government or the country needs direction, it needs clarity and it needs stability. I'm not convinced it has it at the moment. So somebody or some groups of parties need to win the next election and then have a strong programme for four or five years to come. I'm bound to say that I also think over the next 12 months, we will be looking over the other side of the pond, so to speak. Now, we may all have different views about Donald Trump. The one thing that I am most concerned about is that the election of a new president next year could give some solace or succour to Vladimir Putin. If the next American president is a little bit softer towards the Russian president and a little bit more equivocal towards Ukraine, we could see, I would say, an almost terrifying uh, disturbance in the balance of power internationally. Now, I often say that as Christians, we shouldn't panic about these big and global events, terrifying they may, may seem, because God is ultimately in control. That's still true. But I will be testing that theory, I think, to the max over the next 12 months, because although we shouldn't panic, we should care deeply what happens to our world. If you have a question for Tim, email farron at premier.org.uk. Well, let's close our time together this week in prayer.
Uh, loving Heavenly Father, we lift up to you all the party conferences that are coming over the next few weeks. May they bring glory to you. May you bless Christians on the left in the Labour Party, the Conservative Christian Fellowship and the Liberal Democrat Christian Forum and all the other parties and their Christian groups as well, that those Christian groups might be faithful to you and be a strong witness at their party conferences. We pray for Christians as we are inundated, bombarded, like everybody else is, with different versions of what is apparently the truth in our media, mainstream and otherwise. Help us to be careful with the truth, not to repeat things that we're not sure are truth, uh, to have discernment, to cling to the truth of the gospel, but also to be those who stand firmly for truth across the board. Uh, Lord, we also pray for Kate Forbes. We're so grateful to you for her time and for Naomi's and being on our show this week. We thank you for her witness and for her service of her community and her country. We just pray for all those Christians who are going to their party conference in the next few days and weeks, that they, they would learn the right lessons from Kate's experience, that they too would seek to banish fear and to be faithful to you. We ask all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this week's show. Don't forget, you can catch up on past episodes which feature interviews with party leaders, former government ministers and MPs from all the major parties. Just search for A Mucky Business on your chosen podcast provider or head to premier.plus forward slash A Mucky Business. Mm -hmm.